Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scores and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great under the circumstances. I know that's sounding more and more kind of out of touch with the the moment we're in, but I still am hoping it for you all and uh, hoping that we can all keep it together in this true zombie apocalypse um, beyond my wildest imaginations and wildest fears, although not really because I knew when we voted for this sociopathic lunatic that bad stuff was going to happen. Um, but I definitely did not think it would be under this kind of purview. And it's uh, quite devastating. And again, I have my whole family in New York City, which is the epicenter of the crisis, given the population density, the international, the high immigrant population and people from all over. And it's just a high you know, a real high infection rate there, and it's uh, tragic, and it's uh, it's really been bumming me out. Um, but, you know, we got to move forward, and we got an important election coming up, and uh, we got to right the ship here, because this is unsustainable. Having these fucking monsters in charge is not, um, not going to get us to a better place. So, this whole episode is about Joe Biden. So I'm calling it Nothing Regular About Joe. Uh, as a pl the play on, you know, the regular Joe. Because Joe Biden has actually had a pretty extraordinary career. And uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Both in terms of his bio, his candidacy, the election, what he's going to do, his cabinet. Just tons of stuff. So a lot to get into here. And I will do my best to give up a well thought out and reasoned view of all of these issues. But before I get into that, I'd like to just mention something from last episode. So last episode was my musings on empathy. And the reason, because I think empathy is so incredibly important of really almost all the human characteristics, it is just incredibly important for moving ahead and building a just and peaceful world, both for humans and non-humans alike. And I mentioned a lot in that episode that in the conservative movement, there is a real obvious lack of empathy. Obviously, Trump is the kind of apex of that, uh, you know, a true sociopath who just doesn't care about anything except the most trivial, mundane, mundane details of his life. A man who is, you know, in charge of the well-being of 330 million and just couldn't give a shit about any of them and just all day every day blatantly says I don't care about you I only care about me it's it's a kind of shocking revelation but that that it's deeper it's in the conservative movement that the, the reason the cruelty and the sociopathy that really defines the conservative movement is because of this lack of empathy and and I, a lot I talked about how we, how we try to build empathy because it's such a crucial emotion and characteristic. 
And I read this really interesting article in The Atlantic talking about uh, Jacinda Ardern. She is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. And the article was about how her uh, treatment and response to the COVID pandemic is really kind of the model for the world. Now, of course, New Zealand is a small country. It's relatively homogenous. It's an island. So I don't think we can draw too many conclusions about her great response, you know, that we could draw to some country as sprawling as the United States. But that being said, she's been really an outstanding leader. I think beyond just the the, the specifics of it, I think women leaders have been better than men overall. And so we see women really stepping up. Um, But this article in the Atlantic that I'll put in the show notes it points out that she really has a huge degree of empathy and that that she's really connected with the people and she's used empathy to draw people in, to unite people, and to say that we're all in this together. So I just thought it was such an interesting article right on the heels of my episode where I was trying to identify empathy as the crucial kind of emotion and characteristic. And then here we go, you know, the the woman who's perhaps done the best response to COVID in the world, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and that empathy is really her calling card. So I just thought it was an interesting uh, uh, thing to point out here. So moving on, though, let's get to uh, Joe Biden here, who is the Democratic nominee uh, for president in 2020. I will start out by saying he was just about my last pick. When this is pre-COVID, when people were talking about the candidacies, I thought Joe Biden was absolutely the worst possible pick. I thought he would get crushed in the general election. And let me just take a step back and say, I think if we took the COVID pandemic out and, you know, stock markets are still near record, the job market's looking good, Joe Biden is the candidate and, you know, really not invigorating the youth, not a real inspiring candidate for the base, I think he would have gotten crushed. So I stand by that. But again, history and current events don't follow these simple uh, meanderings, right? And what happened is we had this massive pandemic. We're in now a, you know, a global depression. And now I think people are seeking safety and competence. And someone like Joe Biden, although I still don't think the best candidate, uh, actually has some attributes that are quite attractive for the general population. Um, and he oversaw uh, some of you know Obama's Ebola response. He oversaw the stimulus money to make sure that it wasn't corrupt and that the money was well spent. So he has some history and biography that are actually quite apropos for this moment. And I think that's giving him a boost. And it turns out also a lot of old people right now are scared and old people like Joe Biden. And so I think this pandemic uh, has made him a much more attractive candidate. I do not think it's going to be a cakewalk. I think if all goes well and we run a good campaign, we can crush Trump and the GOP. But I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. And I think there's a lot uh, in here that we're going to have to talk about, about getting this uh, unity ticket uh, as strong as possible. But, you know, beyond that, um, Biden has just had an incredible life. You know, he's he's, you know, obviously been was Obama's vice president for eight years and did a lot there. Again, the vice president's not a particularly substantive job, but he actually had some pretty substantive um, pieces of his portfolio during that eight years. 
Uh, he also obviously was in Congress and the Senate for decades. So he's just a real creature of Washington in, in the good and the bad. The good being he knows how things get done. He has a lot of good relationships. He knows the in, inner workings of government. And he's really helped in some big moments in time to, uh, to make sure that the government worked effectively. And I think, again, that's really his greatest strength because we need competence now more than everything, uh, more than anything. There's also some bad parts of his record. He was kind of part of that tough-on-crime 1990s Clinton nonsense that was really devastating, I think, to a lot of poor communities, particularly African-American communities. His, his you know, conduct in the Anita Hill uh, hearings uh, for, you know, against Clarence Thomas are really pretty shameful. Again, putting it in context, this is the, you know, the early 1990s when America was a much more misogynist and sexist country. So what Joe's behavior was not out of line with the norms, even for Democrats, sadly, you know, 30 years ago. But it's still a pretty shameful episode. And, um, you know, I'm not going to make excuses for him. This, you know, brings me to, you know, the current scandal, this woman, Tara Reid, of accusing Biden of sexual assault. And I just think it's it's something I don't want to focus on a lot, uh, but uh, you know we need to take a few minutes to talk about it. My first mm, point I want to say is, is that all allegations of sexual assault are need to be taken seriously. And so um, you know I don't have a double standard here where you know Trump has been accused, I think, of rape 16 times and he's admitted being a sexual felon on tape. So he's clearly a sexual predator and a sexual felon. And if we lived in a sane country, he would be in jail with murderers and rapists and would not be president of the United States. But I take those quite seriously. And so I should take the ones of against Biden seriously. I also want to point out that when uh, Al Franken was accused of much lesser crimes of, you know, kind of sexual impropriety, I said he should resign. And I am actually happy he resigned. A lot of people on the left are very unhappy about that. The double standards that, you know, Republicans can, you know, do horrific sexual crimes and stay in office. And, uh, and Democrats, you know, the smallest thing, and we tell them to go out. Well, that's the difference between us and them. I want a party that really is a zero tolerance party. And, uh, and I, I really want to hold us to a higher standard than the Cretans in the GOP. Um, that being said, it's also true that, look, whereas I think just social deviance and criminality is higher in the conservative movement and in the, De in the Republican Party than in the Democratic Party, it's not absent in the Democratic Party. We are not saints. We are not pure. And there are absolutely, you know, sexual predators in the Democratic Party. So let's take a look at the Biden scandal. The first thing is, I'm just going to say, Right off the bat, I've read a number of articles on it. This is not my bias wanting Biden to be pure and, and, and scandal-free. But I think given the contradictions in the testimony, given Tara Reid's background, it seems pretty sketchy. I'm just going to say that straight up. If this was against a Republican, I would be saying the same thing. The facts of the case seem pretty, pretty sketchy. Also, let's be clear here. Biden has been vetted more than almost any other politician in the history of modern America. I mean, to be a senator and a congressman and to be the VP twice. I mean, Obama's team vetted him like crazy. And the fact that this never came out until right now. So this is something that happened almost 30 years ago. 
and it doesn't come out until right now, right when he secures the nomination, right? It's not even in the beginning of the process when this information could have helped people make a decision, but right when the nomination is clinched, it just seems super, super, super sketchy. And um, I'm not going to say that he's innocent. The only people who know are him and Tara Reid. Those are the only two people who know the truth. But given that Biden has been vetted and this never came out, given that Tara Reid's testimony is contradictory, she praised Joe Biden at times, there's just a lot of fishy stuff in there. And obviously it's being pushed by the usual suspects of, uh, you know, of the, um, of the right I just don't take it that seriously because it just seems like bullshit. Um, I also don't think it's going to matter. You know, tr you know, Biden is going up against a guy who's been credibly accused of rape by more than a dozen women, who's admitted being a sexual felon and bragged about it. So the, the sad thing is, is, you know, against someone like Trump, it's not going to matter. And, you know, if Biden did it, I think it's horrible. And I think at some level he should pay. I would you know, a price for it, but I would still vote for him because then it would be truly a lesser of evils. And, um, you know, we can't survive. I don't think the American Republic can survive another four years of Trump. But again, I don't think he did it. And I think if he did, it was a one-time thing out of character. It's not a pattern of abuse like someone like Trump, who's a clear, you know, decades-long sexual predator. Again, I'm not making excuses for Biden. Uh, but I think that's that's where I come down on this, and um, it's unfortunate. And I hope uh, I hope the allegations are untrue. The last point I want to make is, you know, someone might accuse me of a double standard here because, you know, I I did believe the accusations um, against Brett Kavanaugh uh, by Blasey Ford and say, hey, wait up, you know, you acute, you you believe those those were thirty years later, or and you know, and yet you're giving Biden a pass. Let let me be clear to show why this is not a contradiction. The first thing is, is that the Blasey Ford allegations against Kavanaugh came out at exactly the right time, is that she was holding them back because she, until he was up for something in higher office. And she said, wow, now that he's up, I need the truth to come to light. The, not, the, the same is not true about Biden. Biden has run for president multiple times. He was the VP. There was plenty of times where if, if Tara Reid thought, oh my God, this guy's going to be in a high position. I should let the world know the truth about him. She had many, many opportunities before 2020 to do that. The same is not true of Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh was a district judge. It's not something that's super, super high up in the national consciousness. When she was, you know, when he was going up for the Supreme Court, this woman said, I, I let, need to let the truth out. The second thing is, look at how Kavanaugh responded. Kavanaugh blatantly openly lied throughout his confirmation hearings. A guy going to be a Supreme Court justice blatantly openly lied about many things in his past and then went on this partisan screed against, you know, against the, the Democrats and they're going to have to pay. I mean, it was just such a despicable, shameful uh, conduct. He could have just said, look, I don't remember any of this. If any of this happened, you know, I'm really sorry. I take this stuff seriously as a judge. I'm going to be very empathetic to women's issues. He could have done so many things and he didn't. So, so Kavanaugh showed his true colors, showed what a horrible human being he was. Joe Biden has done no such thing. He's just denied the accusations and uh, he hasn't lied about everything else uh, that's, you know, that's related to it. So again, I don't think there's any, any comparison uh, between Kavanaugh and Biden. 
My final point here is, again, I hope Biden is innocent. Um, and if he's not, I hope in some way he pays for this at some point. But he needs to become president now and beat the uh, sociopathic monster that we have in the Oval Office. So after after the break, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, some elements of Joe Biden's candidacy and how he should approach this that I think will make him strong for the general election. Okay, so I guess the biggest decision Joe is going to make in the coming weeks and months is his choice of vice president. Uh, I think, you know, everyone knows he's going to choose a woman, which is outstanding. That's not identity politics. It's called equality, that we have incredibly competent, amazing women in the Democratic Party and in the country, and we need to elevate them to the highest office. If we lived in a true democracy, uh, Hillary Clinton would have been the first woman president. She beat Trump by three million votes, but because of the white supremacist electoral college, we do not live in a true democracy, and she was denied that that uh, office. Uh, but having a VP uh, that is a woman is outstanding. I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm hoping that Joe says that he will only run for one term and then let the, the woman VP run in 2024. And so we can get a woman uh, in office as the president uh, quite soon. Uh, my top choice is Stacey Abrams for many reasons. I think a black woman would be great at the ticket. Again, not as identity politics, but as the Democrats core base is, is, is black people and African-Americans here. And we have such strong, competent, intelligent black women in the party that let's elevate them to the top of the ticket. I think it would just show it would be a great message it would also kind of be the reverse of Obama. Right. A black man at the top, a white man as VP. And then we go, you know, we'd flip it. And I just think it would be a great symbolic and great kind of uh, message to the country. And Stacey Abrams is an incredibly skilled politician. Uh, and she's young. She's dynamic. Her big, big issue is fair voting and voting rights. And I think that's got to be the Democrats' big issue going forward. We need to change the structural components that allow the Republicans to steal elections, to rig elections, to gerrymander. So I think having someone like Stacey, who's fair voting, is her, is her calling card, is outstanding. And then finally, the, the, the real important part of the VP is to help the, the top of the ticket win. Stacey Abrams is from Georgia. I think the Democrats can win the electoral votes in Georgia. And there's also two Senate seats coming up in Georgia. So she could be such a powerhouse to help us win a Senate seat in Georgia, help us win the state electorally. And I just think she's just the full ticket. There's a lot of other great picks. A lot of people are talking about Elizabeth Warren. That would be outstanding. She was my pick for president. Um, so her as VP, there's some downside. She's older. Uh, you know, she's 
she does she's not quite as charismatic she doesn't bring a state with her she's you know she's from massachusetts so she's not gonna help bring a new state in um there's also you know kamala harris in my state of california there's other you know kind of picks that people haven't really thought about susan rice who was you know uh the u.n ambassador under obama could be outstanding the reality is there are just so many great candidates but i'm going to put my chips on the table and say you know, I want uh, I want Stacey Abrams. I think a Biden Abrams ticket is the best ticket possible. I think beyond that, uh, people have said that Joe Biden should announce his cabinet picks and in that way kind of create a shadow cabinet. Right. So if he came out and said, my VP is Stacey Abrams and my Treasury secretary is Elizabeth Warren, my secretary of labor is going to be Bernie Sanders. My secretary of state is going to be uh, Pete Buttigieg, my secretary of agriculture is going to be Amy Klobuchar, then he would have all these surrogates who could counter the Trump narrative, right? Maybe Bill McKibben as uh, you know EPA secretary. And so then when the, the Trump administration does some horrible stuff in the EPA, we could have Bill McKibben say, well, if I was the EPA chief, I would do X, Y, and Z. When Steve Mnuchin is giving bailouts to Wall Street and corruption and giving the stimulus money in, you know, to, to the wrong actors. We could have Elizabeth Warren go, when I'm Treasury Secretary, I would do this. I think that's just an outstanding idea to kind of get more media and to really show America the contrast of what a Biden administration would look like relative to a Trump administration. So I am really all in for this. He should announce his whole cabinet ahead of time, not just his VP. You know, we'll see if he does that. I think it would be bold and I think it would really get him a lot of media time and also, again, to draw this contrast uh, between him and the whole entire Trump team, not just Trump, which is going to be the easy target. Uh, a friend of mine who is actually uh, going to be hopefully working in the Biden campaign put together what he said is, uh, you know, his kind of intro commercial for the Biden team. And I'm going to read this verbatim, and I'll just set it up here by saying that I think Biden does have a chance to pick off some of the kind of Obama-Trump voters, right? The people who voted for Obama, then voted for Trump, again, kind of a crazy thing to think about, um, but who could maybe come back. As people know who listen to this podcast, I think that the GOP is a white grievance cult. It's not really a political party. The 45% that support Trump are, you know, are part of this zombie horde that has lost their mind and is really, again, has been indoctrinated into a cult and are not going to come around, right? These people are pretty much lost, if not for a generation, for a long period of time. But that being said, there are some at the margins and the margins matter in this, you know, tight electoral map. You know, there's a couple percentage points who might swing to Biden if he reaches out to them. And so I think what this ad is aimed at that cohort, right? I think most of Biden's candidacy should be focused on rallying the base and hence the things I just said about the shadow cabinet, um, about a really dynamic VP pick. And then I'll talk after the break about some policies, I think, that can get rally the base. But this commercial, I think, is to, to try to pick off some of the Trump people, some of the moderate independents who might get on board. And so here's here's the commercial picture. Joe, you know, in a kind of homey, you know, in his khakis, maybe in front of a fireplace or a barbecue, staring at the camera. And here it goes. 
Hello, I'm Joe Biden. I'm running for President of the United States. Four years ago, I know many of you, regardless of the political party you identify with, or even none at all, voted for a candidate who you thought would tell it like it is, shake up the system, and put you first. You thought he understood the frustration you felt, that previous Republicans and Democrats alike had left you behind and forgotten and forgotten you in the modern economy, and hadn't helped make your lives better. For those of you who believe that, I see you and I hear you. But what you certainly didn't bargain for were, were his meanness, division, ignoring of facts, and the lies, at last count almost 20,000 of them so far. We don't teach our children to behave that way, and neither should our presidents. But what you really didn't count on was maybe the biggest lie of them all, that he cared about your interest. His tax cuts for the rich, starting trade wars, and limiting health care coverage haven't made your lives better. It turns out instead just the opposite. He hasn't delivered. You need a president who genuinely cares about you instead of selfishly only looking out for himself, and who tells the truth always. That couldn't be truer than during a coronavirus pandemic, when American lives are at stake and effective leadership matters. We're all in this crisis together, 50 United States, but you would never know it by listening to the president. Having a president actually take responsibility matters, and while we mourn the tragic passing of so many, your president has failed you and let the country down. I won't. I have talked about restoring, this, restoring the soul of this country and making us whole as a nation again. But we can't do that by simply restoring the old ways of doing things, the old economy and the old politics. We need to make the system better, fairer, and more inclusive for all. That's our mission. No virus is stronger than American resolve. Please join me and we'll do it together. Thank you. So again, I think, I think messages like that are going to be very important to kind of peel off some of the Trump voters and those people kind of in that moderate independent. But after the break, I'll come back about rallying the base and the things that Joe Biden should really make front and center in this campaign, because I think this is going to be a base election. And the Democratic base is much bigger than the Republican base. So if we can rally them, uh, we'll be in good shape in November. Before the day I met you so unkind Your love was the key to my peace of mind Cause you made me feel You made me feel You made me feel like a natural woman Okay, so what should Joe Biden do to excite the base and really put forward a progressive agenda? I think the first thing, and I, I get this from Bill Maher, uh, and I think it's just so true, is you know where where's Joe Biden's big weakness? His big weakness is with the youth vote. I think the youth are going to come out for him because they know that four more years of Trump is bad for them and bad for their future. But still, we want to we want to rally the youth base. So just come out for full legalization of marijuana. Say that on your first week in office, you're going to sign executive orders for the Justice Department and the DEA, and you're going to set the path towards full national legalization of marijuana. You know, Joe's done this too cute by half thing where he said he believes in decriminalization but not legalization. Just come out for it. This is where the country's going. 
you know, you're behind the curve here. It's not controversial. And, you know, that'll rally young people to say, wow, old Joe, you know, he wants to legalize weed. And wow, that he's the first politician to done that. I'm going to get on board. So that's just a no brainer to me. Again, stop the cute by half stuff. Come out for full legalization. I think the next thing here is strong climate policy, right? You know, the he can and he can use the COVID pandemic as a kind of setup for this. Say, look, once we get the COVID pandemic under control, we are going to need to remake the economy. The next the next big crisis that's coming is climate change and climate change is going to be 100 times worse than COVID. It's going to come in wave after wave over year after year. And so as we have this opportunity to remake the economy, let's remake the clean, green economy. And let's get climate change firmly in our sights. This will attract the youth. It will attract progressives uh, you know, in the climate movement, the environmental community. And it's the right thing to do. It's good policy. And we have an opportunity since we need to remake the economy and rebuild the economy why not do it in a green fashion and build in the clean air and the environmental justice and cleaning up you know the 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 toxic waste sites i mean this is just it's just again a no brainer the 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 next thing is obviously healthcare is going to be a big issue we have millions of people even perhaps tens of millions of people losing healthcare cuz they're losing their jobs and healthcare is tied to employment in this country so no brainer here. Make the public option available to everybody. Say if you lose your health care coverage or if you don't like it, uh, you have the option of buying into Medicare or buying into something like Medicare. Right. And then this is, again, a good first step on the way to a Medicare for all is allowing people to voluntarily buy in. Again, this is that middle centrist path that again is still quite progressive because a public option right didn't even make it into Obamacare and has been fought by the right for decades. But again, what a perfect time to do it, to say, hey, you shouldn't be dependent on health care because of your job. The public option, the Medicare option is open to everybody at any time, but voluntarily, right? Again, no brainer, good, sound, progressive policy, good for people and also good for you know, um, the, the finances of the United States because a public option is going to be cheaper than uh, private insurance. And then the final thing here is, given what COVID has done to expose the gross inequity, given the, you know, the, the fact that our safety net is so frail and so many people are vulnerable, just basic worker fairness, right? Sick leave, daycare, federal minimum wage, worker protections, right? Um, these are just no-brainers, and, and, and in this COVID moment, they're so in top of mind for so many tens of billions of people. So I think, again, we don't want to do everything, right? So again, the legalized marijuana, I think, should just be, a, you know, hey, this is what I'm going to do, but it shouldn't be something he hammers all the time. I think it's climate, public option for Medicare, and, uh, you know, worker fairness. Again, all the key things, especially around sick leave and, and minimum wage, etc., I think this would just be such a strong message, such a strong, and people can understand it. It's intuitive. And so I think this is really where Biden should hone in. Um, and so uh, after the break, I'll come back with uh, my antidotes for today, which you can probably guess we'll have a lot about to do about supporting Joe Biden for president. 
Just give me the cheese, I'll make you smoke it, y'all. Smoke it, y'all. It'll make you please, so don't provoke it, y'all. Smoke it, y'all. We don't need no speed, so we're not gonna coke it, y'all. Coke it, y'all. So to mind the teeth, we gotta take it slow. So when the city has been floating, don't provoke him Cause the weed will be smoking, if he's soaking Best thing for the meditation And the best I agree that Jamaican To be full of weed, we supporting and promoting Loud the crack and the coking, every shouting Everybody healing at the nation Legalize it right now, we bubbling twice every day We be burning, not concerning Okay, so t- for today's antidote It's gonna be obviously pretty simple here But not only am I asking, recommending, suggesting urging, pleading, begging everyone to strongly support Joe Biden for president, but also to do a little extra to work for him and also the Democratic senators. We have to win the Senate too and end the reign of Moscow Mitch, perhaps the most evil man in Washington. And that's hard to imagine with Trump at the helm, but Mitch McConnell is really... um, Really, they, they they don't make them like him too often. Of so devoid of any type of principle, ideology, but just pure raw power for chaos and destruction. So we need to win the Senate too, and this means you know rallying people in your communities. This means donating money. This means going to help knock on doors, get people to the polls. Uh, This means voter registration. This means it all. So I just want to just urge everyone, let's not leave everything, anything on the table here and go all out. And if you don't have a lot of money, you know, donate $5 to a Senate fund. Donate $5 to the Democratic, you know, commission um, and party. Donate $5 to, you know, Joe Biden's campaign. You know, make calls, text, write letters post on social media, you know, whatever it is you can do, just do it and do it a little extra because we really need it this year. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. You can subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And uh, of course, everybody, stay healthy. Follow the social distancing guidelines. I know they suck and it's annoying, but this is really important to keep people safe. It's not really just about keeping you safe, but about keeping others, particularly the vulnerable. So with that, everybody, be well. Take care. (laughs) 